Welcome to Game After Game, the podcast where we talk about games and how they're being played right now. I'm your host, Tracy Barnett. For entire generations of people now, gaming is as much a part of the fabric of their reality as television, films, books, music, and any other form of entertainment medium. Continue is a magazine for the gaming community, the global gaming community. Not just video and computer games, but board games, card games, role-playing games, alternate reality games, and anything that falls into the category of humans engaging to have fun. A celebration of gaming. Everything we love about this mad entertainment sector. Continue Magazine at www.continuemag.com. This is the Vorpal Network. Welcome to Gamer to Gamer, and I am here with Jeff Greiner today. Hi, Jeff. Hello, hello. Now, for those of you that don't know, Jeff is the gentleman who actually runs the Tome Show, and that is the podcast under the auspices of which uh, Gamer to Gamer is published. So it is an honor to have you on. I'm happy to be on, finally. Yes. I've, uh, I've made it a tradition, and by tradition I mean one time, that uh, whenever a new show comes out on the, uh, the Tome Show feed, it's a Tome Show production as we like to call them, um, that I'm always the first guest. And by again, by always, I mean we did it once with Dice Monkey. Because, <laughs> um, you know, it helps ease the audience in to... Uh, hearing this strange new show on the feed, but uh, I let you, I just sort of threw you to the wolves and let you uh, sink or swim on your own. If you oh, don't mind me mixing my metaphors. No, I mean, I, I think wolves can swim, right? <laughs> sure. So obviously, I mean, I've never seen I'm, it, but I believe it. Yeah, I, I would, I would guess so. You know, now, I mean, I really want to Google that, but I'm afraid what I would find. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll leave that be. And instead, I will ask you what games you are currently playing, because that is obviously the part of the point of this podcast. Sure. Um, I mostly play 4th edition D&D. Um, I used to play a, a lot of Pathfinder as well with a play-by-email group that I helped start in my college days. Mm-hmm. A bunch of people who didn't have gamer groups. Uh, most of us were college kids and sort of ran into each other through Yahoo groups, if you remember Yahoo groups. Vaguely. And so, uh, and it's still around. I, st- I still, uh, I still use it every now and then. But um, so we were, we used Yahoo groups and met up with some people through. I think it's through the there was a DM advice uh, Yahoo group, and so some of us sort of met there and ended up gaming together. And then we started gaming in more groups, games together, and more games together. And pretty soon we said, why don't we just start our own sort of little collective? And so it's called the the Woodshed Gaming Collective, um, for names that I, for reasons that I guess don't need too much. Uh, explanation or shouldn't shouldn't probably see too much explanation fair enough um and so we sort of formed this this group of people who all wanted to play play by email games and so we started with third edition and 3.5 and then uh most of them converted over to pathfinder and i was doing that pretty doing several of those for quite a while um and then eventually life got in the way and i started doing this podcasting thing and that ate up a lot of my free time and then you know full-time jobs and kids and all that kind of stuff and so the time that i had to actually dedicate to that was less and less and i started dropping out of games and then i just finally just uh, like a month ago or so dropped out of my last uh play by email pathfinder game so uh, i'm not playing any pathfinder right now although i do have that experience 
Um, but mostly when I play, I play fourth edition. Although we, we've been also uh, playing around with some board games and things as well. Um, the new Lords of Waterdeep game is a lot of fun. Um, yes, the, adv- the adventure system is. games. Yeah, I, I really, really like um, Conquest of Narath. I just really don't have the time to do it, you know, mm-hmm. to play. So, I don't know. So that's, that's, that's what I do. Cool. That's me. And are you, with your fourth edition game, uh, are you playing in the game or are you running it currently? Uh, I mostly run okay. the game. And, and by that I mean, what, we started the campaign um, right after 4th edition came out. 4th uh, edition came out literally the day that I moved from Omaha, Nebraska to Raleigh, North Carolina. I, <laughs> I left my house with a carload of stuff, stopped at the game store, picked up the 4th edition books that had just come out, and got in the car and drove from there to Raleigh. And, I mean, and they was, were taunting you the whole time. And they did. They did. I, I, I mean, I wanted to read them and I couldn't because I was driving. Right. And so, you know, every time we stopped at a hotel or stopped to eat or whatever, I'd pull them out and I'd, I'd ignore my family. And I'd, I'd, I was reading the books trying to see what this new edition was going to be all about. And it mm-hmm. intrigued me. And, and through meetup.com, I'd sort of already formed a, uh, a game group before I'd ever moved out to Raleigh. Mm-hmm. And so two weeks after we got here. I had my first game session, and it was a bunch of strangers getting together at one of the local game stores and trying out Fourth Edition. In fact, we called our the the, the group was called uh, our email list was called Try Four E, you know, T R T R I Try because we're <laughs> the triangle, but, right. but it had a double meaning, right? So we're yeah. doing the tri, the Try the Four E group, uh, and we played Fourth Edition uh, in the game store for a while until eventually I bought a house that was that's not too far away from the game store, and now we're uh, we play at my house, and mostly I pl- I DM then. Um, and I have occasionally taken a break from DMing. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I took a break, uh, a friend of mine, uh, McCoy, who was a, a Jeremiah McCoy, he's uh, a podcaster, blogger, or uh, used to be more more um, active, but he also appears on the show every now and on the Tome Show every now and then, so people might recognize him. Um, he took over as sort of the interim DM. So that I could, you know, deal with life and take a break from DMing and recharge my creative juices and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually he actually ran a campaign in the same world as my campaign. Like we sh- like the stuff, the events of my campaign mm-hmm. were going on sort of in the background of his campaign, and the things that happened in his campaign have played into my campaign. That's okay. extremely cool. Yeah, that's it's yeah, not it, it's not often that kind of synergy can happen. So. Yeah, and it worked out really well. I mean, I was really pleased with the the way that he and I were able to sort of uh, collaborate and talk through sort of, well, you know, without me telling him he, these are my plans, I was able to sort of say, well, stay away from these things because mm-hmm. I'm going to play with that, you know? And so he was able to get just close enough to play with those things that it played a role in what I was going to do without ruining it or without messing it up. Cool. And so it worked out really well. Now um, – is this the same yeah. campaign that you've been running since the beginning of fourth edition? Like same characters, yep. same players. Wow. Yep, we've been running the same campaign since fourth edition came out. Um, we are currently twenty fifth level. We're going through epic tier really fast. We're doing like uh, leveling up after every every session or two. Mm. Um, so we're going through epic pretty quick. So yeah, but but again, I took a, I took about a I don't know three or four month hiatus um, at that point for when McCoy ran and then I took another two or three month hiatus just last year because I was uh, busy with doing some work things um, and and we played uh, a little mini campaign of Dark Sun and that one is actually really interesting too because to try to understand the full depth and breadth of Dark Sun um, after every session we leveled our characters five levels wow so a, we sort of got a big jump 
It is, but we sort of got the experience of having a one to thirty campaign mm-hmm. with you know six or seven sessions. That's that's interesting. Just as as an aside, it almost seems because with fourth edition being spread across the thirty levels, right? Mm-hmm. I I think that I know when I played fourth edition, I found on occasion that when I leveled, it was like okay, I get this utility power, okay, and and sometimes not a whole lot felt like it changed. With those five level mm-hmm. jumps, that's a whole new power structure. Uh, every single time well, it, you it, level, it's it's just enough change that you feel like your character is significantly more powerful, but not enough change that you feel like I, I don't know who this person is anymore and I've lost track. You know, you're usually adding one or two powers and it may be a feat or two. You know, mm-hmm. um, just enough that you can you can see what the next iteration, the next level is for your character, so to speak. Not, you know, game level, but, you know, just right. sort of the, going to the next level, so to speak. You can sort of see where that is and how that feels and then play it for a little bit and then d- jump jump again. So you, you you know, a lot of times when, you, when people will play a one-shot, right, and they play a, a one-shot at a high level, they feel lost and they're not, mm-hmm. they feel like they're not playing the character well because there's just so much to do and so many powers and you haven't had a chance to learn them and figure out how it works. This gives you just enough to play with to learn how a couple of new things work you know, so that next time you've got it down and you've added a few more things. Yeah, that sounds so it like was, a, it, it, it sounds like yeah, a it worked game. really well. Yeah, <laughs> and I promise we'll figure out how to not talk over each other at some point in time. Yeah, um, well, we'll see. Um, so the campaign's been going on, like you said, since fourth edition has come out. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the campaign and what's been going on with it? Sure. Um, the the campaign started as that. Well, actually. The, I knew I wanted to run in the Forgotten Realms. I'm a big Forgotten Realms fan. And so um, I wanted to take my fourth edition game and, and play in the Forgotten Realms. I've had good experiences with other groups that didn't know much about the Forgotten Realms and sort of introducing them to it, mm-hmm. you know, because that's always a lot of fun when you've got a, a setting with a lot of history and a lot of uh, canon and the the players themselves aren't necessarily very familiar with it because you get to sort of teach them about the canon and teach them about the setting through play. Mm-hmm. And so they're discover, you know, there's, it's a lot of discovery, which is a lot of fun. Um, and so I knew I wanted to be Forgotten Realms. My original plan was, hey, I bet you could do a really neat uh, zombie apocalypse story in D and D and set it in Thay. You know, usually mm-hmm. people don't think of of Thay with the Red Wizards of Thay and all that. They don't think of Thay as being a, a setting so mm-hmm. much as a villain. Right. I said I want to make Thay. The setting. We're actually going to run through a good chunk of the campaign in Thay, and it's going to be this big zombie apocalypse thing. Uh, Zaztam's going to be raising this this zombie army that, and has found a way to sort of make it viral. So when one's, one a zombie kills somebody, they become a zombie, which isn't typically how it works in, in a D and D mechanically, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and so he is going to be this big zombie apocalypse setting uh, and and story. Um, that started to switch a little bit shortly after the the fourth edition Forgotten Realms book actually came out because I was basing a lot of my campaign stuff on what we'd had in previews and things without actually having the new book. Mm -hmm. Once I started reading the new book, a story revealed itself to me, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I had, I had sort of this epiphany and as I kept reading through this, this new setting material, I said, wait a minute, there's a story that this new, that this new version of the setting is trying to tell. I'm going to tell that story. 
And so a lot of it, a lot of the story shifted and sort of the zombie apocalypse story is still there mm-hmm. and still exists and is still a major, you know, that is still the villain of the campaign. Um, but the new goal isn't just survive and stop the zombie apocalypse. It's also there's pieces of Mistra, the goddess of magic who died and caused the spell plague and all this other stuff. Right. There's mm-hmm. piece, there's pieces of her still around in the world. And we need to figure out what that's all about and figure out if it's possible maybe to bring her back and rein all this back in. Because, you know, crazy wizards like Zaztan wouldn't be pa- capable of doing this if there was a, a god of magic able to regulate all this. Right. Um, and so it sort of merged with the, the zombie apocalypse story sort of became the villain. Um, and the larger campaign, the larger arc turned into exploring the the realms and in doing so – finding pieces of Mistra and dealing with the gods and, and figuring out if it's possible to bring her back. That's really cool. Uh, the uh, Oddly enough, the only zombie apocalypse apocalypse game that I've ever run in, in D&D or a variant thereof, we were using uh, Pathfinder at the time, was uh, also set in the Forgotten Realms. So... We have we have that in common. We've run zombie apocalypse games in the, in the Forgotten Realms. <laughs> well, and and it, it didn't actually work out very very well as a zombie apocalypse story because the original plan was uh, the the campaign is called Monsters of Thay and it was supposed to be sort of this um, multiple meaning title. Um, who are the real monsters? Is it you know this person or that person or the actual monsters? You know, mm-hmm. they the characters were supposed to be sort of a a, a group of slaves who were specialists in killing monsters for. Thay, mm-hmm. and and thus in, in doing that they would encounter all these issues and and what have you, um, and and so it's going to have all these interesting meanings and what have you, and they were going to spend at least the first ten levels in Thay, and my my big plan was they would escape Thay as sort of the climax of the heroic tier as they as they you know went on to Paragon tier. Mm-hmm. That's when they would get get out, and they would be dealing with this zombie apocalypse sort of story and trying to survive in this situation the whole time. That was the plan. And, of course, as we know, um, plans – the very first mission that they were sent on was to go into this little dungeon and then come back out where the slavers were waiting for them and, and take them away. And they had these magical bracers on so they could be tracked and they couldn't get away. And it was – you know, like I, I, had, I had a pretty strong way of putting them on a leash mm-hmm. without – actually having to have the NPCs following them around and, and, you know, which then creates this issue of what do I do with these NPCs when there's a, when a fight breaks out ever. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I thought I had it down pretty well. And then they went into this first K this first dungeon and, and to try to figure out what was going on to clear it out. And they ran into the big villain of it, which was a, a hive of Kruthix, which are these insectoid like underdark tunneler things. I, I used Kruthix in my very first fourth edition game ever. I love Kruthix. Right. And so they, they and so I sort of read through the information about the Kruthik and I'm like, oh well they're underdark and they're tunnelers. It wouldn't make a lot of sense for Kruthik to just be in this cave not connected to anything, right? Like I mean they're tunnelers. There should be tunnels all over the place. So how mm-hmm. can I make it make sense that they're here? And so I sort of just described, oh, well, in this part of the cave there are some tunnels that go off into what you would I guess is the underdark and they've completely caved in. Well, the PCs took that as an invitation to say, well, great, we don't have to go back into slavery. We will take our Warforged character, and he will spend the next three days nonstop digging out this tunnel, and we will go into the Underdark as second-level characters, which is pretty much suicide. Woo! So then I had to figure out how to, how to turn the campaign completely on its head mm-hmm. <laughs> and figure out how, you know, because 
they weren't supposed to be out of Thay until 10th level. And they essentially, after, you know, I made them run through quite a few hoops and, and we we did a lot, uh, some interesting story on the way out. But I, I essentially they got out of Thay, you know, in half the, the levels that they were originally intended to. So the story became a little a little different at that point. But mm-hmm. uh, it started off as this big zombie apocalypse thing. So you've been using 4th edition for a long time now. Um, how do you actually play it when you play it? Do you have house rules that you've introduced? Have you had to try and you know, speed up combat, for example? That's a common complaint with 4th edition. Um, you know, how, how is the game actually run when you run it? Sure. Um, we don't do too much with house rules. I've, I've made one house rule that um, was used a lot sort of in the first half of the, the game, right, levels 1 through 15 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was to address the, the, the loss of what I call background skills. Mm-hmm. You know, 3rd edition had all these skills that didn't necessarily play a role in how the game played, mm-hmm. but informed us a little bit about who you were like the craft skills and and the not uh, not the knowledge the craft skills and some of those things right um whether you could play a musical instrument and, and all that right they're they're good background things that don't necessarily play a role in, in what's going on in say an encounter right so fourth edition doesn't have a lot of those those skills so the the one big house rule i made was that right <laughs> everybody gets to pick one background skill and they're, that you have trained in and, and you just have it you're mm-hmm. you know uh, and it was wide open right it was even bigger and 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 broader than what you had in, in third edition you know so you could have be have a skill as a sailor or merchant or whatever right mm-hmm. um and so that and that came into play uh, quite a bit early on now once you get to the point that you're high heroic and definitely by epic level um how good of a sailor you are suddenly doesn't matter anymore because I can just magic everything to, into existence the way right. I want it to. Because you're, you're epic level, you're fighting gods and you know that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, sailing your ship around seems pretty mundane at that point. Yeah, so your, they've your, sort of your ability to bake sweet rolls is not exactly yeah. <laughs> come into play. Right. Yeah, so that's sort of fallen out of out of use. Uh, but I like the concept of of that house roll and it worked pretty well. Um. Other than that, I mean, I've done some stuff on the DM side. Players don't notice a lot of it. Like, in, t- in terms of combat speed, I'm just aware of some of that stuff when I'm designing my encounters. I, I, I'm, you know, I've played it enough at this point that I know the kind of things that are going to slow things down. Um, and so when I design encounters, I... I Try to avoid the kind of monsters with the powers that ha- that can slow things down, or at least don't overdo it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I try to a lot. I, I actually design a lot of my own monsters, and I and when I do that, I usually give them really give them low lower hit points, but increased damage, so the threat mm-hmm. level's still there. And then I also try to use the out a lot. Um, if you've heard um, Dave Chalker from Critical Hits, he talks about this a lot too. Um, and the the idea is just. An encounter doesn't necessarily, and this is true of all games, right? An encounter doesn't necessarily have to end when you kill everything else, right? right. There are many ways that an encounter can encounter can end. You know, if it's intelligent creatures, they can recognize when they're outgunned, <laughs> and and you know, rather than fall on their sword and die for this cause that they know that it won't win, they will surrender. More many people, more often than not, will surrender, right? Or the monster, the the beast will run away because he knows that it's that or die, and so. Um, or you know maybe the goal is to do something that isn't necessary. It doesn't necessarily require that you kill everything. You know you just got to get across the room and grab this 
Guga or whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot of things you can do to, to sort of speed up combat. The, the other trick I've, I've started doing with um, as we've get, gotten into the upper um, Paragon and into uh, Epic Tier, uh, and I got this idea from Mike Shea at Sly Flourish. And um, it's I, I just I don't hide the defenses anymore. Um, mm-hmm. When when I track initiative, I have my DM screen in front of me. I have all the players. I, each one has a little index card with it. I printed off little pictures of them, put their names on them, and everything. Right, so they're very pretty because they don't change. And then for the monsters, I just pull out the index card and I write the name of the monster on it. And then I write um, all their defenses, their AC, their reflex, their will, and and their fortitude are right there on it. Mm-hmm. So when the players are rolling, they don't have to tell me what they rolled and then I have to double check and then you say, yes, you hit. And then they give me your, the damage and I check all that. I, it's just, it's right there. You just tell me if you hit or not. Yeah. And then tell me your damage and we'll move on. And that, and that works pretty well. I, I can also uh, offer one more piece of advice. And this is from, from, from personal experience that, that an encounter that did not go well, do not hit four swarms against a party with no controllers. Just don't <laughs> do that. Now, I, I ran a, a Halloween adventure. Uh, one shot with characters that I made, so it was all my fault. Um, and yeah, four four big swarms of scarab beetles or something, and no controllers, and the encounter seriously lasted the entire session. Oh geez. Yeah, because I was bullheaded. I didn't back out of it. And sure, it was, sure. Well, and some and, and and that comes down to the idea of you throw like a swarm or an insubstantial creature, right? And nobody can do the full damage to them, and mm-hmm. so it just turns into a slog. Yep. And it was, oh my, was it a slog. So anyway, yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's, that said, for any fourth edition DMs out there, all of th- those are th- that is really good advice until you hit Epic Tier. At Epic Tier, and I learned this from, from Sly Flourish and his Epic Tier book pretty well, at Epic Tier, anything goes. Anything. I, I don't care what it is. You, you throw anything at them and they're epic. They will figure out how to, how to get out of it. That makes and sense. so so far it's worked. My twenty third level characters, I put them up against a thirty third level uh, solo primordial, and they wiped the floor with him in like three or four rounds. <laughs> I mean, he is ten ten levels higher than them. Yeah, <laughs> and, they, and they they looked at his defenses like, man, we are never going to hit that, and yet somehow they still managed to kill him in like four rounds. <laughs> so, epic tier characters have enough tricks; they will figure out how to do it. Well, that that uh, you know. Talking about my my own uh, mishap as a GM actually leads into the next question really well. What would make your game better? Hmm. If anything, if, game if you're like, hey, if it's perfect, then awesome, man. I mean, that's that's fantastic. C- couple things. Couple things. Uh, if it ha- could happen more often. Um, yeah. We play every other week, um, which is which is fine. Um, I don't have any complaints about that, uh, and and I and I couldn't do more because I have family obligations and what have you. Um, and that was sort of the original deal I made with my wife after we were married and, and I started getting uh, a gaming group back together again is that I'll, I'll play, but I'll only play every, every other weekend so I can still spend time with the family on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a perfect world, I'd, I, I could always play more. I can always yeah. play more D&D. <clears throat> um, other than that, I guess, um, if the only other thing I would change is... It, I want to go back in time and tell myself the things that I know now about running fourth edition D and D that, that I didn't know, you know, four or five years ago when I started it. Um, there's a lot of sort of precedents I set, um, that now it's, you know, it's just too late, you know? Yeah. Um, 
there's a lot of rules that we didn't have then that actually make the game a lot a lot more fun um, that you know we 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 played around with, but we can't integrate them into a campaign. Like uh, if it were up to me, we would do um, we would have inherent bonuses and really few magic items because fourth edition of the way it's designed, the math doesn't work unless you've got scads and scads of magic items. Right. And you swap uh, and them so, out at regular levels and so on and so forth. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, one, the one thing I, I, I'm, I, I probably frustrates me the most as a DM in Fourth Edition is magic items, mm-hmm. um, and just because half the time I don't want to take the time of figuring out, well, what am I going to give them now? Right. If it, I, I'd rather the magic items fit into the story and and um, have a purpose and all that kind of stuff. And it's hard to do that when there's so many of them. Right. Uh, and so if you if you go with inherent bonuses though, then you don't have to do that. That fixes the math. Mm-hmm. And then you can just do a handful of magic items when they make sense. Um, and that sort of fixes that. But we didn't have those rules at the time. Uh, and there's a lot of things I, I wish I had done. And like, you know, I started the group and I didn't know anybody and, and all that kind of stuff. I wish I would have gone bigger with my with my role playing as a DM, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do more silly voices and, and uh, do more, you know um, – dynamic sort of descriptions of the combats and and that kind of stuff and so we sort of i never sort of established that that was the way we were going to run things and so now every now and then when i try to do that kind of stuff i just sort of get funny looks from about half the group they're like what are you doing we never do this you know mm-hmm. um so you know if i could go back in time and 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 run things then the way i know i want to run them now then that would be awesome but you know that ship has sailed and we'll handle that in the next campaign yeah definitely but we're we're coming to the end of of the interview questions, and we close with my favorite question of the entire the entire proceedings, and it's the one that always makes some people go, um, uh, "Tell me a story about a game you were in." All right, um, I'm going to tell you the story about my first um, real fourth edition fourth edition character, <clears throat> and this was in that that mini campaign that uh, McCoy ran that was set in the same world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I played the character called Verat. He was a Deva and an Avenger. Uh, the second edition player's handbook, or the second player's handbook, had just come out, and those were both new, a new racing class that I wanted to play with. Mm-hmm. And I had really sort of been thinking a lot about the kinds of characters and the kinds of both in in stories, novels, and in in gaming that that I think are a lot of fun. And there are certain characters that in novels um, that in the Forgotten Realms are oftentimes epitomized by like the Harpers. Mm-hmm. And the Harpers are this k- group of chaotic good people, meddlers, who just sort of run around and cause a lot of trouble for everybody. Um, but it's all for the for good intentions, right? And when there's impossible odds, they just jump into it head first, you know, and just assume that everything will work out, mm-hmm. you know? And, and those kinds of characters appeal to me and they're a lot of fun both in games and novels and TV shows and movies. You see those kinds of characters all over the place, right? Right. And so I said I want Verat to be that character, but his personality isn't you know, he's not fun loving. Verat, uh, his story was the the con- the player the concept of a deva the race is they were angels who chose to take mortal form and now whenever they die they're reincarnated but they only have vague memories of their past lives. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so his story was he was one of the guardian angels uh in Mistress Court when she was killed. Mm. And so he is like insanely solely driven to try to find her and bring her back right you know because he failed and he wants to make it right um and so that was sort of his story which is kind of a dark you know dark story but i also sort of took the idea with him of 
but at the same time, he knows he'll be reincarnated. He doesn't care what happens to this kingdom, right? We were we were playing in the in the kingdom of Cormier, and and the whole campaign was about trying to save them during a war, and he didn't care. <laughs> you know, he couldn't he couldn't have cared less about the kingdom because he's an he's an angel. He's seen thousands of years. Kingdoms come and go. It's mm-hmm. not important, you know. Um, and so he just sort of, I managed to make this sort of lighthearted uh, approach. This you know devil may care sort of approach to, to running a character fit into this into this darker sort of uh personality in that you know whenever we ran into an impossible situation and everybody's like oh my gosh we're gonna die we're gonna die we're gonna die oh my gosh we're never gonna get out of this my my character Verat was always like it'll be fine it's okay <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> you know and, and you know a lot of times it was him the one that was the one that was in trouble because he was an avenger and, and, and avengers um are very much loners, which is not encouraged in fourth edition, right? And fourth edition is yeah. built really well to make a party work together. Oh yeah. Uh, except for the Avenger, which has to run off alone and single things out and not be around any any allies and that kind of stuff. And so he was always standing on his last leg, and it always looked like he was about to go down. I mean, the Avengers are strikers; they're supposed to be up doing a bunch of damage. Mm-hmm. But he he totally acted as a defender. It, it was always – the strategy was always, okay, the party's going to focus fire. You're not going to go after this guy. Verat, however, is going to find the biggest, baddest guy in the room, and I'm going to keep him busy. <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely sounds like the defender's role. Take out everything else before he kills me you know and that was sort of how how Verat worked and so but he was you know i mean he he became so known for that sort of attitude of oh it'll be fine okay sure i've only got two hit points but i'll pull it off it'll be okay um you know he became so known for that that now you know we're well past that we're not actually in that campaign anymore i'm dming and players will still pull out that line you know Straits will be dire. It looks like every everybody's gonna f- die. It's gonna be a total party kill. And yet, you know, every now and then a player will just look at me in that situation and said, "It'll be fine. <laughs> We're okay." <laughs> you know. And you know what? Verat didn't die. Um, I actually originally worked out with the DM that he was gonna make some sort of heroic sacrifice mm-hmm. early early on in the campaign. But being a Deva, he would then reincarnate and show up like right in the last chapter, and it was gonna be this big reveal. I couldn't kill him. Like I kept throwing him into these impossible situations and he kept surviving. He always was just fine. You know, he, he got along just, just dandy. Uh, and so I, I actually used him in my, in my campaign when we went back to it, since it was all in the sh- same shared world and he had gone completely insane. <laughs> it was great. Well, that is an awesome story. And, uh, Jeff, I thank you very much for taking the time to be on the fourth episode of gamer to gamer with me. Well, I would say any time, except that's not how this works. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You've been listening to gamer to gamer gamer to gamer is published by The Tome Show in association with the Vorpal Network. gamer to gamer is published under a Creative Commons non-commercial 3.0 share-alike license. The music for the intro and the outro was provided by Brian Boyko and can be found under public domain at freepd.com.